121, 1 through 8, which is the whole thing. <laughs> Psalm 121. <laughs> I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Amen. Well, that is what our message is today. The Lord watches over you, and he's the shade at your right hand. So how many of you are tired? You don't have to raise your hand if you're too tired. To It dawned on me this week that we really need rest, and the same rest that we talked about last week, rest for our souls, not just rest for our bodies, but both. And I heard on the radio, I was driving this week um, in the car. I don't spend that much time in the car because I live like, right around the corner and we work here but we've been helping we've been moving stuff and and, you know helping people moving things and i was in my car a bit this week and i was listening to the radio because there was so much news happening i was trying to keep up with what was going on but i happened to pick up a piece where they had two uh i don't know what you i guess they were psychologists or something like that they were, the, the whole thing, this is not a Christian radio, this is just the news radio station, and they had some psychologists on there, and they were very concerned, because what they were saying is, the mental health infrastructure of our country, need, then we need more of it. But the reason they were on the radio right now talking is that these people, from their research, believe that at least half, the phrase they used was one in two, which is kind of funny to me, one in two <laughs> Americans are currently suffering from a diagnosable, clinically diagnosable depression or anxiety disorder. So that means half of our country right now is clinically depressed by their estimation. These are not believers. These are just guys trying to do their job, and they're worried because they're like, we don't know what to do about that because we weren't quite ready to deal with what we were dealing with already. And the reason for all this was COVID and all the stuff that's come from that and all that kind of thing. And so they were just talking about it. And as I was driving along, I was like, well, gosh, I think that's true. And if half the country is suffering from something that's clinically diagnosable, the other half's probably not doing all that great, you know. And, uh, and so that's what I want to talk about. I think that we've been experiencing um, a tremendous amount of outside pressures that lead to this, because I believe this is true. I think we've had COVID, a pandemic that has all sorts of effects physically. We've now, you probably know people, you've probably lost loved ones or people that you know, and that's scary. Um, you also don't know what it'd be like if you get sick. Some people, it's not a big deal. Some people, it is. That's unsettling. We've had to change the way we act around each other. We don't get to hug each other. We get to have to be so isolated. I think that has an effect. Um, there's caused economic uncertainty. Some people have lost jobs because of it. Some people have, you know, had to change jobs or change how they do their job. You're supposed to do the same job, but now you got to do it at home, and that's stressful. Some people had to do more than one person's job. I'm looking... Some people had to fill in for other people. I mean, and so we've all, some people have been working too much. There's also been this election with all the unrest with that. There's all these outside pressures that have been um, pressing in on us. And also the isolation that's been caused by this. You know, some people, you know, really like being alone. Some people really don't. Some people, when they're 
isolated with their families is a really bad situation, and they've been forced to stay in that. There's just a lot of outside pressure. But then also some of that leads to what I would call like internal pressures, and I don't know if these are <laughs> – I'm making these terms up, so I don't know if these are clinical psychological terms. These are things I've made up for, you know. But I think that we put a lot of internal pressures on ourselves. And as I was praying about this, I was thinking, you know, that, they, um, you know, when you're isolated and you're just looking at your phone all day or something, you find like, okay, m- maybe you feel like you you see all these photos on Instagram or something and you don't measure up to this person's life. They've got it all figured out. They've got it all working, which they're probably lying anyway. But even if they're not, you still, you know, we start to measure. Like, we're not measuring up. We don't look as good as these people. We don't have as much money as these people. We haven't achieved what they've achieved. You know, I don't have multiple vacation homes, you know, <laughs> things like this. Whatever it is, or you, 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 maybe you're driven to like not be fooled. There's a lot of, you know, what we call fake news or misinformation. And I want to show everybody that I'm not being fooled by it and all this kind of thing. And as I was praying through this, I really felt like I was saying this phrase of something to prove. We have something we're trying to prove to no one who doesn't care. And that's driving us crazy. So you got something you're trying to prove to nobody who cares anyway, you know. And But we're really proving something to ourselves and... So some of us are struggling with what our lives, we feel like our lives should be like, because, or, or say it like this, some of us are, because of all this, have turned to doing bad things, or our lives are filled with bad things that we need to stop doing, and we feel bad about that, and that's adding to this thing. And then some of us are just not, like, we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, we just don't like what God wants us to do. That's a different situation. And it's a little headier there because now you're maybe mad at God or I, it's, it's hard to sort through that. Some of us can't even tell. It's just I don't like what's going on. All right? And so I found this quote online this week. And I want to read this to you because I think we start playing on these mental games. Because when I talk about rest, okay, I'm not talking about inaction. Some of us, the solution to what we need to, in our lives is to get off your butt and get some things figured out and get it going. You know, so this is not about inaction. But what it is is about what type of action and who's in charge is really the whole thing. Okay? Because we got something to prove. We're trying to prove we can take care of it ourselves, and you just can't. That's the end of it. You can't do it. You aren't good enough. You don't look good enough. You don't have enough money. But here's the thing. Nobody else does either, and they can't make it, and no one else cares. So we're living in this whole crazy, crazy thing, much less all this outside pressure that's for real. So I found this quote online this week, and I want you to hear this as though Jesus himself was saying these words to you, okay? So this is Jesus speaking now. Just to be clear, this is not from the Bible, which you might be able to tell. (laughs) But just imagine Jesus is saying this to you. To all my bros, I need you to know It's okay if you're not epically crushing it right now. It's a pandemic, and we're all a little low on hustle sauce. I'm going to read that again in case you missed it. This is Jesus now, all right? To all my bros, I need you to know it's okay if you're not epically crushing it right now. It's a pandemic, and we're all a little low on hustle sauce. So I was thinking about what to call this message, and since it's based on Psalm 121, I thought about the Lord washes over you would be a good title for this message. Then I found this quote, and so I thought, maybe we should call it, To All My Bros. But really, we all know this message is called, 
hustle sauce. So let's go back to Psalm 121, which is actually in the Bible. And I want to talk about what this is and why this matters and just a few quick things about it, and then we're all going to go home and rest. So Psalm 121 is found in a set of psalms which we call Psalms of Ascent. And these are psalms that are songs that are meant to be, they were and are and meant to be sung by those that were heading to Jerusalem for one of these holy days, okay? Like the feasts that Steve and Marianne were talking about. As people were on their way to Jerusalem, they're singing these songs. And these songs say different things about God and it's kind of getting people excited about what's happening. And they're, they're, these are psalms for people that are on a journey but aren't there yet. And I kind of think that's right where most of us are right now. Sung by travelers on the way to Jerusalem for festivals. And on their way, they're singing about God already as their protector. We don't have to get there for God to be protecting us. He already is. It's a rough road, and you're uphill, okay? Ascent, Psalms of Ascent. And they're looking up. You know, it says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. They were looking up to Jerusalem. It's where my help comes from. Not necessarily the city specifically in and of itself, but this is God's city. God, the creator of heaven and earth, which it says in this, he is the one that we're looking to. He's our help. This is his place, his city. We're looking up to him, and he's going to take care of things. And we're going to focus in mainly on Psalm 121.5. Like I said, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And this is the truth. God watches over us while we're on the journey. And when we arrive, we tend to think that that'll, when I arrive, da-da-da-da-da. And God's like, no, this is an ascent. Like, while you're doing it, we're good. Like, I'm still God. I don't become God when you think you made it to the city. I'll still be God, but it's not, <laughs> you doing that changes nothing, okay? So he's watching over us, and so much of our anxiety is that we feel like God doesn't see us, or you feel like he, we're telling him something that he doesn't know. I think that there's, this is a big chunk of this whole thing, that we can, whether we logically, when I say it like that, it's like, well, that's fine. I don't really actually think that. But if you emotionally analyze what's going on in your head, so often what you're doing is you're like, if God knew, or if this, you know, there's a lot of this kind of thing happening. And like we talked about last week, that God cares more about the things that we care about than we do. Like, he's God. He's the only infinite person that has the capacity to love at that level and care at that level. Because everybody else, if they focus on certain, you just run out. But God is the only one who can really care at that level, and he does. And so I want to focus on two quick Bible stories here. And these might be exegetically kind of jumping to different places, but this is what comes up to me when I hear this scripture of the Lord's watching over you and he's a shade at your right hand, and I think they'll apply to what we're talking about today. When we think of the first part, watches over you, my mind went to the story of Hagar in Genesis. And so what we have here, and I'm just going to give you a quick paraphrase, and you can look this up yourself later. It's in the Genesis teens region, if you want to find that. And um, God is setting about his plan to heal the world and bring restoration and eventually the least Jesus and the restoration of all things. And so he has, to, he has a man, Abram, who becomes Abraham and the father of all the nations and all this kind of thing. And so it's at the beginning of all this, God makes, tells him, you know, I am going to use you, build a great nation and people out of you. And it's, you know, and it, he prophesies, but he's like, I'm old and my wife's old and we don't have any kids yet, so we're not going to have kids. And you're saying my descendants, and there's some complication here in his mind, maybe. And him and his wife go, well, you know, I have a um, servant here, and 
for the kids, we will use maybe a moderate, like she, she says, okay, we'll use my servant. Maybe she'll be like a surrogate mom, okay? Something like that. Everybody understand. And so instead of waiting and maybe trusting God to just work it out his way, they go, let's make matters in our own hands and let's figure something out. So they do, and it works, sort of. And then Abram's wife, Sarah, gets, or Sarah, I guess Sarai at this point, you know, they're, they're, uh, she gets jealous and they get mad and, and she gets so mean to the surrogate mom that she runs away to like just get away from the meanness. So she's in a situation where God has said something and in order to make it happen, not wait on God to do it because God can take care of God's business, try to make it happen ourselves. Anybody who says they're going to make Something like, let me just say, like, big red flag. When God says he's going to do something and people are like, well, if God's not doing it, we'll take care of it ourselves. Huge red flag. Not a good idea, okay? If people start talking like that, you know, be careful. So, again, this is not about inaction, but you've got to be careful with that kind of stuff. So here's a situation where God has started something. Some people took it into matters into their own hands, and then the situation developed. They didn't like some meanness She's leaving. So she's like, I didn't ask for any of this. I'm in a bad situation. I'm pregnant now, out in the dead. I'm law, you know, I don't have any help. I'm I'm a victim of these circumstances that are around me. I didn't do any of this. And so um and she did, she wasn't exactly nice either. Like once she'd kind of become pregnant, she'd gotten she'd kind of been mean too. So it's not like it's all one sided. You see what I'm saying? So like she has a kid she's now gonna have the kid, so she's not being nice to Sarah either. So it's you see Usually that's how these things go. It's not like there's one bad person. It's like everybody's in a mess because we've messed up this whole thing. So so she's in a mess. It's partially her own fault because she was being mean. She's also in a mess for the whole situation. It's not something she's asked for. And so she's out, you know, kind of in the desert by herself. And then God sends an angel to come talk to her, which is good. And the angel says, you need to go back. I'm going to work things out. Or God's going to work things out. Trust God and all this sort of stuff. And make some other promises about... Uh, how things can work out again if you start trusting God in this sort of thing and she says back okay now I see that God sees me because she's in a bad situation some of it's her making most of it isn't but God sends an answer a miraculous answer it's an angel this time and maybe that's not necessarily specifically miraculous but it's uh, I don't know how the definitions work it's a big deal when an angel shows up. Let's just say that. <laughs> and um, and the angel, and that tells her, like, well, God does see me, and it gives her the strength to go and get, you know, do some things. But then I also thought about the second part of this, the shade at your right hand. And this is a more interesting story. Because what that's really saying in the proper psalm is that you're walking, traveling the psalms of ascent, remember? You're traveling. The desert is a rough place. It's really cold. It's really hot. The sun is like, you know, even for Florida people, you know? And uh, he's saying, like, I'm, I'm covering, I'm protecting you from that, okay, you know? And so I was thinking about that, and it, my mind jumped to something that's a little unusual. And this is where I said it might be exegetically, you know, a stretch, but I think you'll get the point. Uh, I thought of the story of Jonah, okay? Jonah, if you remember. And kids, this is a good one to ask your parents to read to you. It's a good uh, story. It's four chapters. And what, what you have, I'll give you the quick paraphrase again, just so you know what we're even talking about. There's a big, big city full of really, really bad people doing really, really bad things. And God says, we need to warn them that this is bad because if they don't stop, I'm going to have to deal with things. And by deal with things, God means, like, destroy it. And he has done this before. Again, take God seriously. 
So he asks somebody named Jonah, says, hey, you need to go tell them what they're doing is wrong. And he says, no, because I don't like them and I want them to get what's coming to them. This is a bad attitude, okay? And we all kind of do this a lot. Hence why I'm focusing on this story. So you, some of you know the story. If you don't, I'll just tell you. So he tries to go the opposite way, not to where God's telling him to go warn the people. He tries to go the other way, gets on a boat, storms come. He finally confesses, this is kind of my fault because I'm disobeying God. And the people in the boat are like, well, then we're going to get rid of you. So they throw him overboard. And, and the story is like a fish actually swallows him and carries him to where he needs to go and spits him back out kind of thing. And, you know, anyway, he, that wakes him up. He's like, I better do what God tells me to do. So he ends up going and telling the people at the bad city that are doing the bad things, you need to stop doing this, hoping the whole time they don't listen to him because he does not like them because they're bad. Okay? This is my quick paraphrase. So we find at the end of the book this really weird story. He goes to the hills around it, or Nineveh is the name of the city. He goes, I'm going to watch God destroy this place because they're obviously so bad they're not going to listen to me. But the funny, or funny, the interesting part of the story is they do listen to him and they do repent. And so he's sitting there waiting for God to destroy the city and it doesn't happen. And while he's waiting there, it's like really hot and he's, you know, da da da. And so this vine grows that's protecting him. It's like, again, shade. At his right hand. He's got literal shade of this vine that grows. And then while he's still sitting there waiting for God to destroy the city of bad people that he doesn't like, a worm comes and eats the vine, and the vine shrivels up and dies, and now he's really mad about it. Like, ugh, my vine. And then he has this this interaction with God. This is in Jonah 4, 9 through 10. God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? God asked you that, there's an implied answer there, (laughs) okay? So he says, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah says, it is. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. That's extreme. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. There's a paraphrase here that God's like, you're not God, I am. And so we see God being extremely merciful. This is a bad city full of bad people that deserve bad things probably to happen to them. But God is generous and merciful to even them. So how much more is he going to be merciful to us as children when we're doing it? But here's the catch. Jonah in this story is representing, you know, as a person. of He's a messenger from God. He doesn't like God being merciful. He's like mad about it. And then he's focused on his vine, like, I didn't get what, you know, he wants everyone to get what they deserve and all this kind of stuff. And then he's so, and then God's showing, he's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you don't even deserve this vine and you're mad about that. Then he says, yeah, I am mad about it. I'm so mad I could die or wish I was dead. This is a heart condition I think a lot of us are suffering from right now. In this mess of outside pressures, this mess of inside pressures, this internalization and all this sort of thing, we find ourselves seeing God maybe be merciful, and that's making us angry. That's how twisted some of this stuff becomes. That now when we see God being merciful, now we're mad about it. We're like, well, not for them. Tim Keller, big-time preacher, you should look him up. Amazing. I saw this. He put this out this week on Twitter. He said, the fastest way to become a Pharisee is to hate Pharisees. See what I'm saying? 
you're among them. <laughs> or we're among them if we join the club, you know. It's not how these things are won. Dr. Martin Luther King, there's a famous quote, tomorrow's the day we celebrate and remember his legacy. The darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So the fastest way to become a Pharisee is to hate Pharisees. And darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So I see this. We're stuck in kind of an impasse in a lot of things, internally, externally. Uh, there's too much to talk about, too much to sort out, too much to even It doesn't really matter. Because when you start to boil it down, you come to some sort of base material that looks something like God is God and we're not, and we're not okay with that. <laughs> and it's kind of, you know, there might be a little more to it. But if you look at it, it kind of starts turning. It's like you start to, if you keep dividing it and dividing it and dividing it, you get down to where it's something like the fall of man again, you know, like in the story in Genesis of, of Adam and Eve and that whole thing, is that we, we don't like what God is doing and we don't trust him. We trust ourselves. We trust on how we understand things, not what God is doing. And I know better about my life than God does and all these other, and you can just keep going on and on. We don't have to get so specific because you know. So I have this thing, those three things I have at the end, you know, that, the end point is that this trusting in God, that God is God, we are not, and he's watching over you, and he's the shade at our right hand. He's our protector. Because the thing is, these are real situations we're in, you know, and and we're in a real mental health crisis. We're in a real pandemic crisis. We're in a real potential economic crisis, and, our, you know, our country's polarized, and da, 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 da. all these things are real, and our opinion about them and our understanding about them doesn't make them go away, even though some of us will help work towards us real solutions in some ways and these sorts of things. But we can live within that world on its terms or on God's terms, and this is the issue. So i got three points here that aren't going to really be, these are just the end. This is the end. We need, point one, we need to give and receive more grace to each other. We're struggling. So many people are struggling. Half the people in this room probably are clinically diagnosable. That's a lot. So we need to be nicer to each other. Not just nicer in the sense of like whatever. It's nicer to each other. We need to have more patience for each other, more grace for each other. I mean, I could read the two all my bros quote again if you want. (laughs) But we need to be giving and receiving more grace. Number two. We need to take God seriously, but we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously because we can't do this on our own, like I said. And God is serious, but he's also good and loving and all this kind of thing. And so much of this struggle on the internal side is coming from us trying to prove something to, again, trying to prove something to nobody who doesn't care. We just got (laughs) to... We've got to stop doing that. We've got to take God seriously and stop taking ourselves so seriously. And the third thing is this, because I believe that God has important work for you to do, but you may be missing it due to distractions that are within or without, and that he wants you to be doing these things, living with a complete understanding of his love for you, which is supposed to be felt, not just, okay, yeah, sure, but no, I get it because I get it on the inside. 
So I'm going to close just by reading this psalm again and have Caleb sing a quick song. And I'm just going to pray that the peace of God would fill our hearts. And then God would also, you know, there are things that we probably need to address. We might need to apologize to some people. We might need to, I don't know. I, I don't want to even just fill in the blank. There might be something you need to do. And I encourage you to take the courage to do it um, because it's important. God cares about all this stuff, and he has things for us to do. And we're distracted by such, you know, such silliness in comparison. But we're on a journey, just like those that would be singing this song. We're on a journey, and we're not there yet. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Amen.